Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. We're on vacation, but that doesn't mean we don't have an amazing show for you today. Garrett Graff stops by to talk about his new book, UFO, The Inside Story of the U.S. Government's Search for Alien Life here and out there. But first, we have founder of Run for Something, Amanda Lippman. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Amanda Lippman. Thank you for having me, Molly. I am happy to have you. I have so many things I want to talk to you about. I know Run for Something really, really well. I'm going to let you give a like two second for the very, very, very few people who don't know what Run for Something is. Tell them. So Run for Something recruits and supports young, diverse progressives running for state and local office all across the country. Um, we work with millennials and Gen Z who have want to take back power. They're running for a state legislature. They're running for school board. We've helped elect more than a thousand people, mostly women and people of color, in nearly every state. And we're building the biggest pipeline in democratic politics. Let's talk about what this biggest pipeline in democratic politics looks like. Give us a few examples. Love that question. So we have just about 150,000 people who've raised their hands to say, I'm thinking about running for office. What do I do next? They are moms and teachers and scientists and veterans. They are thinking about running for school board in Florida and mayorships in Indiana. 
and state legislature in Texas and all kinds of positions in between. And the thing I really love about them is there actually is like no uniting commonality between them beyond the fact that they really give a shit and they're going to run for office to to take action on that. Okay, so tell me like one candidate who is coming through this cycle. So I'll actually tell you a little bit about someone we worked with in 2023 who I am obsessed with. So in Pennsylvania, there's a county called Dauphin County, which is like around Harrisburg. And they had this year their county commission up for office. Um, We were working to make sure we were going to recruit a pro-democracy leader for that office because the county commissioner oversees the elections. Um, They do things like determining how easy or hard it is for people to cure their ballots, how people can get their votes counted, that kind of thing. So we sent a bunch of text messages. We did a bunch of phone calls. We ultimately found this guy, Justin Douglas. Um, Justin Douglas is a pastor. He's like a CrossFit athlete. He does like some work on the side to try and make some money. He had been a community organizer. Yeah, like, you know, just trying to make a living. We talked to him about running for office. And at first he was a little resisting. He was like, maybe I'll find someone else, but ultimately decided to get in the race himself. He knocked tens of thousands of doors, raised a pretty meaningful amount of money. He's a married dad of three. He'd been doing a bunch of advocacy for the homeless. And one of the biggest issues he wanted to talk about in this race was prison reform because the county commission oversees the prison system in there. And there had been a number of prisoners who had died in the jail system that he wanted to bring attention to. He did things like leave lit on people's doors that said the mayor in Jaws 1 is still the mayor in Jaws 2, local matter. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So he ends up winning this election by, you know, as of last count was maybe 147 votes at a 53,000 cast. He f- helps flip control of the county commission two Democrats for the first time since World War One, So over a hundred years. He is now going to oversee, uh, along with the criminal justice system, along with the county budget, the election in 2024 in a critical county in Pennsylvania. Right. And we're going to have safe, free and fair elections where there's no funny business. That's right. Tell me another one. Also in Pennsylvania, we had some amazing candidates running for school board, in particular in Central York, PA. There was a county school board that had been doing a ton of book bans over the last year. They at one point got into some trouble for engaging with a lawyer that the Southern Poverty Law Center had called a hate group and been working with hate groups. They kept trying to ban books. They put together lists that were obviously resourced from Moms for Liberty. Amelia McMillan and Benjamin Walker was who of the run for something candidates there. Knock doors, made calls. Amelia held a readathon to get people reading banned books and to help raise money for her campaign. And they were able to flip the school board in Central York, um, keeping Moms for Liberty out of power. Uh, and they were part of the the hundreds of folks who beat Moms for Liberty candidates across the country, ensuring that they just ate shit so hard, <laughs> uh, which is not going to dissuade them from doing the work in 2024 and beyond, but gives us. That, you know, when we run, we can win. So we just got to get on the ballot in the first place. I feel like those school board elections, there were so many victories in 23. I mean, I know they weren't polls, so they couldn't be talked about on television. But there were so many of these victories where, like the school boards, you had these crazy Moms for Liberty people, by the way, now Moms for Threesomes. And again, no dispersions. And I think everyone should have the kind of sex they want to have in the world. But I just don't want them also banning 
running books. But I think it's really interesting. There was so much of this, like, we're going to go to the school boards. We're going to make sure that you can't ever let your kids read any books that have anyone who's gay in them. And there really was a kind of groundswell of normal people running for school boards. And you guys were involved in that. You know, Moms for Liberty had a 30 to 32 percent win rate in November. Run for something school board candidates won at 72 percent. Wow. I feel like people don't they think like, oh, like Republican Party is investing so much in school boards. They're guaranteed victory. We hear so much about what they're doing. People want school boards to be boring. They want them to be competent. They want them to think about your pay and facilities funding. And when we give them candidates to vote for, when we support candidates who can make that case, like people don't support book bans. They want normalcy. <laughs> so right. really why I'm so excited about the work we're going to do on school boards in 2024 and hopefully beyond, because it has never been more important. And Moms for Liberty is not going anywhere. They've opened a like 6,000 square foot education activism headquarters in Sarasota. They are ready to invest millions more in this. They are all in. Um, and I do think it's worth noting that part of the reason they're going all in on this is because they know this is the kind of thing that gets people who might otherwise not be excited about the presidential election in 2024 really excited to show up at the polls. Yeah, I mean, book banning is their choice, right? right. Is their right to choice when it comes to abortion. They really love book banning. Probably not a great sign for that party. Let's talk about like sort of down ballot stuff you're seeing in other states. One of the things that we're seeing in the South is a kind of, and especially there are some green shoots in the South of democracy. I was wondering if you could talk about that. Yes, we have some incredible folks running and that we've been working with in places like Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, even Alabama, Oklahoma, of course, down in Florida. You know, as places see the really feel the consequences of Republican leadership, like they're going too far. I think it's really worth noting, like these are places where the top of the ticket is not going to compete. In many places, there isn't a statewide election. So local candidates get a chance to really define what they believe in and what what they stand for as a Democrat in that community. They get to knock doors. They get to talk to voters in a really cool way. And they get to be really concrete, in particular when we're talking about abortion. You know, these local candidates can really speak specifically, tangibly, practically about what it means to elect a Democrat and not just any Democrat, but this Democrat who people, their voters know and trust and can deliver results for them. This is like one of the things you often say, and I'm going to ask you to say it again, about why it's so important that you run people for every seat. Will you explain to us why it's so important that you run people for every seat? I'm sorry to be boring, but... No, it's not boring at all. It is incredibly important to run candidates for as many offices as we possibly can. One, because if we don't intentionally do candidate recruitment, 70% of local races go uncontested any given year. That means only one candidate from either party uh, is on the ballot. In many places, when elections go uncontested, the governing body will just cancel the election, which means people don't have a chance to build that muscle of voting. So that's a problem, number one. Number two, on the policy side, these local positions, you know, we think that most governing comes from D.C., but that's not actually the lived experience for most people. The quality of roads you drive on, how affordable housing is, how accessible childcare is, whether restaurants can be open or closed, whether your schools are fully funded, whether you have access to abortion, how your jail system is run. All of that is happening at the state and local level. So it really does matter as you use positions. On the politics side, and this is the thing where I think it's it's easy to forget 
know, one, these candidates are the bench of future leadership. So if you want better presidential candidates and better governors, you need to elect better school board members and state legislators. But two, these are the people who are the most uh, compelling messengers to their neighbors because they understand what their folks are facing. They are knocking doors. They're talking to voters and especially for younger voters. And we keep hearing this in focus groups and in polling. Local candidates can excite them in a way that the top of the ticket can't. We have done some studies on this, some research here, and we did this in 2020 as well. Simply fielding a state legislative candidate in a district that didn't previously have one increases Democratic turnout in that district by anywhere from half a percent to two and a half percent, which could be the margin of victory for Biden in 2024. So if you're thinking about what is the best way to help the entire party, the entire country to get good policy and make good politics and save democracy, it may be counterintuitively, but I think actually pretty intuitively is to support local candidates running for office. So interesting and so important. So Nevada, there have been a number of polls that show that Democrats have a weakness with a voting base that they have long counted on, Latino voters and also African-American voters, voters of color more generally. Do you think that there is an opportunity and there's been some, you know, there's like a media narrative which says like Democrats have taken these voters for granted in a certain kind of way. Are you seeing and I think the most important thing and certainly when you look at the South is to have people of color running for things. I know that for women, there's more of a barrier to entry. Can you talk a little bit about that and talk about recruitment efforts and talk about this? Because I think it's so, you know, I look at the senators from Mississippi and I know that Mississippi is a majority minority state. And I look at their two senators and those are not representative of the people of Mississippi. Yeah, we have seen that recruiting candidates of color is incredibly meaningful, especially in places where it's really reflective. Um, We saw this Virginia on the state legislature. The new speaker of the Virginia State House, which Democrats just flipped, will be the first black House speaker in the history of Virginia. That's incredibly meaningful. And by the way, insane that it's 2023 and we're having this conversation. In particular, in Virginia, the state legislature, it will now be about 23 percent black leaders. Virginia's black community is about 21 percent. We are finally starting to have reflective leadership. This is because of the work that organizations like Yes, New Virginia Majority have been doing, but also Run for Something's been working in Virginia since 2017. And our slates of candidates each year have been more and more reflective of those communities. You know, it makes a lot of sense if you see a candidate who can speak authentically to the issues you're feeling, who can communicate not just like on the topics, but in a way that makes sense, like is enforcing it, isn't full of shit, like really, you know, just like gets it, just gets it. That makes a difference in how excited you might feel. And for what it's worth, depending on how local they are, you might know them. You might be part of the same circles. The more local the offices you get, the number of voters you need to reach is much smaller, which means it's more likely that like you go to the same grocery store, you go to the same place of faith, you go to the same gym, your kids are on the same like, you know, intramural soccer team. Shared experiences and like shared race or class or gender is not just about representation, although it's certainly important. It's about shared lived priorities and the way that affects governing and a communication style. So important. And I think that's such a good point. I mean, the whole goal is to have people who live in the place represent the place. You want people who can really reflect the community they're trying to serve and are of that community. Like Run for Something always says, we're not trying to get diversity for diversity's sake. We're trying to get diversity that that reflects the diversity of the United States. 
that's important. And a leader in, you know, a school board member in Miami might have a different kind of background than a municipal officer in Ohio. That's okay too. And that's what I think makes the Democratic Party so great is that it's a really big tent that can include a lot of different kinds of people. That's what makes it really hard. <laughs> so when it comes to Virginia, like that was a huge victory for Democrats, I think. I was personally quite anxious about Virginia. And the sort of narrative we got was that Yunkin was this new kind of Republican, very good at appealing to moderates. But that's not really what happened on the ground, is it? No, not at all. As it turns out, people were really uninterested in what the Republican Party was selling, in particular when it comes to an abortion ban, which they tried so hard to pretend that wasn't what they were offering. <laughs> Virginia Democrats did a really good job of making it clear that if you elected a Republican state legislature, you were going to get a full ban on abortion. We also saw this in school board races. We worked with Madison Irving, who's a football coach um, in like a county outside Richmond, who was running against a Moms for Liberty like type candidate who like wanted to abolish the public school system, basically. And he said he just wanted to talk to folks about teach your pay. You want to talk to them about facilities funding. And every person he met was like, Phew, thank God, I just want to not have to think about this so much. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think, ultimately one of the biggest problems with this incredible like Republican fascism thing that they're into or autocracy, whatever makes you feel the most comfortable is this idea people don't really want, I mean, they just want their government to work, right? I mean, aren't, isn't that what you're seeing on the ground? Absolutely. They want their government to work and they want their leaders not to be like fucking weirdos. <laughs> That's my favorite line. We underestimate how weird some of the Republican candidates have become, like in part because it's one of the only ways you can win a Republican primary right now or can even identify as a Republican. And I do have some amount of empathy for people who are Republican voters and feel out of sorts with their party. They feel a little politically homeless. And also, like, you get what you built. Oh, no, my plans are going to the my actions. <laughs> when you run good folks who can point out the lunacy on the other side and can really like tell the story, it makes a difference. Yeah, for sure. So now this is like a big election coming up. What are you looking at? What is your dream? What are you excited about? And most importantly, what do you need money for? <laughs> okay, so we are excited about a couple of things. One, we are likely to work with over 800 candidates this year in nearly every state. Um, we've already endorsed more than 100 for 2024. They're going to be running for state legislatures and city councils and especially school boards as we looked in the next year. And we want to make sure that we can support all of them in all of the ways that they need. We are also doing active recruitment. Filing deadlines have already passed in some states. The work for 2024 started years ago, but we are still doing recruitment um, up through the end of the filing deadlines in some places as late as June or July. Third thing we're doing a ton of is, as I mentioned, school board work. We want to make sure we have the infrastructure we need to recruit candidates for school board races, only half of which happen in November. School board elections are year round. We want to make sure we're everywhere that we need to be to stop non-stability. Final thing we're doing is ensuring that um, our candidates can really knock doors and talk to voters in a way that will gin up turnout for the top of the ticket. Um, so being really intentional about why we're, we're helping people. All of that takes money. And, you know, Molly, I've been on the show before. We've talked about this before. It has been a really rough year yeah. for fundraising. Um, and I think everyone on the Democratic side, at least, you know, the organizations that do this work, 
has seen the same kind of contraction. And I think it is really scary going into what is honestly the biggest election year yet, knowing that for a lot of folks, they're going to have to cut back on their program when it's never mattered more because donors have not stepped up in a way that, that allows us to, to comfortably do this work. That's really scary for me. And it's really scary for a lot of my peers. It's really scary for our democracy. I think folks are waiting for it to feel real. Like it's hard to imagine that we're doing Trump versus Biden redux, but we are. And those are the stakes. And if you have been waiting to give to any political cause to run for something or anything else, like do it now. Do it now. You should have done it six months ago, but do it now because people are divining their their 2024 budgets today if they're not already. And we need to know we can count on you. So important. Thank you so much, Amanda. I hope you'll come back. Anytime. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melanin. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. 
That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Garrett Graff is author of UFO, the inside story of the U.S. government search for alien life here and out there and is a contributor at Wired Magazine. Welcome to Fast Politics, Garrett. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Garrett, why UFOs? Discuss. I got interested in UFOs because in national security circles in Washington, I started to hear serious people talking seriously about this subject. And for me, there was one particular moment that launched me on this book project, which was John Brennan, as you know, the former CIA director, former White House Homeland Security Advisor, gave an interview in December 2020 where he said there are things out there that we don't know what they are. They puzzle us. And some might think that this phenomenon could constitute a new form of life. And it was a really remarkable statement to me because... You know, at that point, this was 2020, John Brennan had just wrapped up the better part of a decade atop the U.S. intelligence community. And I figured there can't be that many things that puzzle John Brennan. Like when he wakes (laughs) up in the morning, if he has a question, there's a $60 billion a year apparatus whose job it is to go out and find the answers to his questions. And so if he was leaving office and he was still puzzled about UFOs, what the government now calls UAPs, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon, then that was probably a subject worthy of diving into for a book. So UFOs, they're real? Well, something is real. I mean, UFOs, all it stands for is unidentified flying objects. And so there are definitely unidentified flying objects. What we don't know is whether any of them are extraterrestrial in origin, which is what normally people mean when they ask, you know, are UFOs real? They mean sort of are aliens visiting us? Part of what this book tried to do was pull together the twin threads of the U.S. military's hunt to understand UFOs here on Earth and the evolving astronomy and science around our understanding of the universe and the possibility of what's known as the search for extraterrestrial intelligence out across the rest of the universe. And what I think you're left with at the end, or at least what I was left with when I, when I finished the book, is that the math is very much on the side of the aliens, that our understanding of the scope and scale and breadth of the universe in really just the last 20 years has revolutionized astronomy, uh, that 
we now understand, you know, as late as the 1990s, we didn't know that there was a single planet outside of our own solar system. And we now understand that effectively every star across the universe has has planets and that many of those will fall into what's known as the Goldilocks zone, the, the sort of range and temperature where water could exist, where atmospheres could exist, where oxygen could exist. And that across the universe, there are probably on the order of about one sextillion habitable planets, which is to say a billion trillion habitable planets. And that you know, statistically, most likely our universe teams not only with life, but also probably intelligent life as well. The question is whether any of that is close enough to us that we would notice or whether they would notice us. Or one of the most interesting questions to me ends up being, would they care if they found us at all? Because we have this like wonderfully human centric view that aliens would bother trying to come across the vastness of interstellar space to visit us, make friends with us, invade us, harvest our organs for energy, you know, what have you. Whereas it's quite likely that a intelligent civilization would view us with all of the interest that we view an anthill as we walk by on the sidewalk. So we are too unimportant for aliens to want to abduct us? That's about where I, I end up at the end of this. Feels depressing. <laughs> Part of what the astronomers have really begun to figure out is that, you know, we are a remarkably young solar system in a pretty ordinary corner of a pretty ordinary galaxy in a pretty old universe. And one of the most interesting and you know, profound things that I came across in the course of this book reporting was really realizing that like we might have missed the intelligent life, that we've only been around, you know, as humans, a few 10,000 years and, you know, we're about four and a half billion year old in our solar system across a 14 billion year old universe. And so you could have seen billion year civilizations. I mean, things far more advanced than anything that we could possibly imagine that have risen and fallen multiple times long before our solar system even began to gather out of dust in the universe. What? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, what? <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that, but so the sense is there are aliens, they're not that interested in us because we're too new. We're too new, and it's not clear that anyone would have noticed our existence. I mean, when you begin to talk about the vastness of interstellar space, we just haven't been detectable for that long. Carl Sagan, the famous 20th century astronomer, he was one of the leading proponents of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence while also being one of the leading skeptics that UFOs were alien visitors here on Earth. And his argument wasn't that aliens don't visit Earth. His argument was statistically, aliens probably only visit Earth every couple hundred thousand years and that they treat Earth effectively as we would treat a rest area on the New Jersey Turnpike, a stopover on the way from one interesting place to another. It's not that, you know, aliens never come here. It's that the thing that you saw out your window last Thursday night 
was unlikely to be the day out of the last 200,000 years that an alien randomly stopped by. Okay, so where does this leave us now? So it leaves us with the idea UAPs, UFOs are real. There's something that we don't understand flying around out there, moving through our airspace and our atmosphere. It's probably not aliens, but that doesn't mean that it's not something really interesting. And to me, UFOs probably end up being four different things. Mm, which are? When I talk about this, you know, I'm drawing a boundary, of course, around like the UFOs that really puzzle the government, because a huge percentage of UFOs and UAPs are things that are easily explainable. You know, the planet Venus, you know, Starlink satellite launches actually now account for a huge percentage of UFO sightings. But of the things that puzzle the government, some chunk of it is advanced adversary technology being tested against us. These are Chinese drones, Russian drones, Iranian drones, things like that. And we know that the Pentagon has actually uncovered some of these in trying to study UFOs. One of the things that the Pentagon has come out and said in recent years is that through studying UAP sightings, it uncovered the existence of a heretofore unknown Chinese transmedium drone, which is to say a Chinese drone that came out of the water and transitioned to flight. The second category is what you ended up with in the Chinese spy balloon flap in February, which is there's just a bunch of weird clutter up in the sky that we don't pay attention to on a daily basis. Turns out if you set the NORAD radars a little bit differently, they begin to detect a lot of what is probably mostly trash and junk in the sky. And, you know, we panicked in February and sent up the world's most advanced fighter jet to shoot these things down with quarter million dollar missiles. And you know what we got? We literally one of them was a weather balloon from the Northern Illinois Balloon Brigade Meteorology Club that just sort of no one had known was up there because who cares? Trouble. Right. Right. Then you get into sort of the weirder categories. And I think some chunk of UAPs we're going to figure out with advancing science in terms of atmospheric, meteorological, and astronomical science that we don't yet understand. Things like ball lake plasma, St. Elmo's fire, things that we're pretty new to the understanding of. And then you, there's a fourth category that to me is probably the weirdest possible stuff. And this is an area where I think we just need to be really humble about how little of the universe around us and the world around us that we actually understand. You know, the world is probably just much weirder than we give it credit for. And this is going to be a category of basically physics that we don't yet understand. We like to think that we have mastered the world, mastered the understanding of the world. But Harvard astronomy chair Avi Loeb, who's one of the big proponents of SETI work these days, you know, he talks about how in January, the world's oldest woman died. She was a French nun. She was 118 years old. And in her lifetime, humans learned everything that we know about relativity and quantum physics. So imagine what we will learn in another human lifetime of physics. You know, imagine what we might learn in 500 years or 1,000 years or 10,000 years if humanity lasts that long. 
and that this could be like really, really weird stuff. I mean, this could be interdimensional travel, parallel dimensions, time travel from the past or future, wormholes. I mean, science and physics that just would bend our mind. But I think that we have to be open to the possibility that there's going to be some really, really weird answers to UFOs and UAPs. And it's stuff that we might not figure out in any of our lifetimes. So in July, there was a hearing and the House Oversight held a subcommittee hearing on UFOs. And they and sort of the supposition here was that the government knows more than they are telling us. Is that true? Yes and no. The government certainly is covering up some large percentage of its own knowledge about UFOs and UAPs. Some of that is because some of these sightings are surely the government's own secret projects, our own secret planes, secret drones, secret spacecraft. And some chunk of it is adversary technology, as I mentioned. And so this is, you know, where the government gets really squirrely talking about what its sensor networks pick up and what it uncovers and detects that we don't know about. Whether the government is covering up meaningful knowledge, I'm a lot more dubious. I've covered national security for 20 years. The challenge that I have with a lot of government conspiracy theories is that they presuppose a level of competence, forethought, and planning that you don't really see on display in the rest of the work that the government does day to day. <laughs> yes, continue. Do I believe that the government could be covering up, you know, some unknown technologies that it's recovered? Yes, I do. Is it possible that there are people who work on that team who think that that technology is extraterrestrial? Maybe. Do I think that the government has concluded that at any sort of official level? Probably not. And, you know, one of the things that you saw the sort of so-called UFO whistleblower say in that summer house hearing is that the government has been engaged in a cover-up of crashed alien spacecraft and bodies that stretches back 90 years and dates back to fascist Italy. Area 57! Area 51, yes, yep. Area 51, yep. sorry. In unless yes. you know something particular about Area 57, that's even more secret. You're right, there are six more areas that no one knows about, yes. But, you know, the idea that to me that the government is covering up the biggest possible secret. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine something that would be more profound than the idea that the U.S. government is hiding intelligent life elsewhere in the universe and that they've done it successfully for decades seems pretty far-fetched to me, just on a pure logistical level. I mean, just talking about, you know, the ability of the government to keep that secret for that long. Will you explain to us that whistleblower and a little bit sort of a backstory? Yeah, this is a career intelligence officer named David Grush, who came out this spring with a variety of claims that the U.S. government has a secret UFO crash retrieval program that has recovered alien spacecraft and alien bodies, what he said in the House hearing he referred to as non-human biologics was the phrase that he used. And he has spoken to 
the inspector general of the intelligence community. Um, he's testified in closed door and open hearings to Congress. He's given a variety of media interviews. And to me, much of what he says and claims is consistent with what we have seen in a variety of so-called whistleblowers since the 1980s that are uh, what ufologists call folk tales, not folk tales, but folk tales, friend of a friend tales, which is sort of secondhand, you know, I talked to a guy and he told me that he worked on this program or I met someone who had seen these craft or, you know, saw a guy in a bar and he said that he had, you know, worked on these alien bodies and that what we have not seen come forward from Grush or really anyone else is what I would call hard documentary evidence that is able to be substantiated by outside sources or, you know, secondary investigation. So, you know, that's, that would be, you know, briefing documents, memos, PowerPoints. Grush says that he has given in, in classified settings, you know, specific locations of where these programs are being run. But there is a Pentagon office that is newly charged with basically running down the truth about the Pentagon's own UFO knowledge. This is an office that's called Arrow and has been created by Congress because Congress is wondering whether it's getting the full truth about UFOs. This guy got debunked? I don't think we can say one way or another whether he's been debunked. I think that we don't yet have the evidence that would allow us to make a real judgment about whether his claims are true. And I think that, as I said, there are you know, logistical and historical reasons to be doubtful about at least parts of his claims. So interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Garrett. My pleasure. Thanks for chatting. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. 
Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's PACASO.com. There are choices that can change your life. Like the choice to start routine colorectal cancer screening at age 45. It's one of the most common cancers for women and men, and it doesn't always have symptoms. But there's good news. Routine screening can catch colorectal cancer early and even prevent it. And there's even better news. You have screening options. Make the choice to put your health first. Talk to your doctor about your screening options. Or visit cdc.gov slash screen for life for more information.